You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. More cancellations, I'm afraid. The past week saw the last-minute cancellation of New Zealand's tour of Pakistan, which was closely followed by the ECB's announcement that neither the England men's or women's sides will tour in October as originally planned. We'll be trying to make sense of all that before talking about Virat Kohli's dual resignations, England-New Zealand, finals day, the final round of the county championship and much more. I'm Yaz Rana and I'm joined in the office by the Wisdom Cricket Monthly duo of Joe Harmon and Phil Walker. But before I go to them, I spoke to Mark Butcher early today, who's in Leicester covering the England-New Zealand series of Sky. Last night, news broke the ECB received a threatening email relating to New Zealand cricket in a press release. New Zealand cricket said, although this did not specifically reference the White Ferns, it was treated seriously, investigated and deemed not credible. We talked about what went on in Leicester, the cancellation of the Pakistan tours and the possibility of further cancellations this winter. Butch, for the second week in a row, we find you in a hotel talking about cancellations. Um, first of all, is everything OK in Leicester? Everything is OK in Leicester, yes. There was, um, there was a bit of a, a scare last night or, you know, some threats were made to... Um, the New Zealand and England women's teams, I think, ahead of the third one-day one international that's due to go ahead um, at one o'clock this afternoon. Um, and, you know, I woke up this morning to, to hear that both teams are kind of uh, happy or satisfied that it's, you know, not a credible threat and that the game will go ahead, um, which is obviously more than can be said for uh, both England men's and women's tours of Pakistan, um, which were due to take place at, uh, uh, well, in the middle of next month, which is, um, which is a real shame on, on so many levels. Um, and I, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm kind of struggling to kind of, to, to, to understand um, the rationale behind the, behind the trips being called off. Um, but, you know, we're, we're probably not going to ever be told the official reasons or what the, what the threat was. But the stuff that I'm reading this morning tells me that sort of advice from the Foreign Office, um, advice from 
uh, independent security companies was that the threat level hasn't changed um, despite the, the, the New Zealand pulling out of the tour and that as far as they're concerned, there's no reason why they shouldn't go. So, um, shocker, really. My initial reaction was surely they could have found 15 players for both the men's and the women's tour who are willing to go. Um, as you say, the, the official advice hasn't changed and even in the statement that the ECB issued, they, they said that the tour wasn't ideal preparation for the World Cup. You're not going to get ideal <laughs> preparation um, for anything at the moment, given COVID, given quarantine and all that. Um, am I being naive in thinking that they could have just found 15 players for both tours? Well, I mean, I don't, I, I'm not even sure the players were asked, were they? The whole thing happened so quickly. I'm not sure how they could have canvassed the opinion of the players. I think the decision was sort of taken out of their hands. Um, I mean, look, I, I, honestly, I don't know. I, we got we got the issue with with the Ashes coming up, and sort of some players making sort of noises that they wouldn't be happy to go given the quarantine situations for families and whatever else. And I'm I'm losing sympathy for for these guys at the moment. Um, but on this occasion, I don't think I'm not entirely sure. And again, I'm not I'm not the most well informed person on the on the total ins and outs of the the, the Pakistan trip being cancelled but I'm not entirely sure that the players would have been canvassed about this one at all this one looks like a, a unilateral decision taken by the board not to go now in the case of the men's trip the men's trip was almost was almost a kind of like a you know a thank you to Pakistan um, a sort of you know a little bit of, not quite an exhibition because both teams have got preparations for the world t20 so it was completely valid but it was also a, a sign of goodwill to a, to a smaller board a board that has had more than its fair share of troubles over the last um, 15, 20 years, uh, to say thank you for sort of, you know, for Pakistan teams spending a lot of time on Plague Island um, over the last two summers. Um, and, you know, solidarity and sort of welcoming them, welcoming them back into the international fold by the visit of one of the big three. Um, and to call that off when the, when the team would have been there for, well, a week? How long, how long were they supposed to be down there? Less, less than that, less than that, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I mean, if that's the way you treat your friends. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's simply a case of, you know, India pull out of England. India, India is stronger than in England. So India leave us. We leave South Africa. We don't go to Pakistan. It is a case of, of poo rolling downhill, isn't it, basically? Um, and and I, for, as for the women not going, I mean, that, that's, you know, that's a huge chunk of their preparations. Um, prior to the Ashes and prior to the 2022 World Cup, just gone up in smoke. Um, you know, they, they hardly play enough as it is. Um, and, you know, it will be interesting. I'm, I'm off to, to Leicester today to, to do the, 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 the third one day international. And it'd be very interesting to find out what the players have to say, or if indeed they're allowed to say anything at all. We haven't heard anything from um, any of the players. We haven't heard anything more than the official statement from the ECB either. But international tours feel increasingly precarious at the moment. Um, the New Zealand's tour of Pakistan was cancelled minutes before it was supposed to get underway because of an un, a yet unspecified security threat. Um, on, on last week's pod, Phil made the point that the more cancellations there are, the more that players feel emboldened to take matters into their own hand and pull out of future series. What's, yeah. what's your take on that and the possibility of players not travelling to the ashes for either portions of it or the entirety of the tour? Look, we're, we're in a situation now whereby, and this isn't the, the case across the board, and it certainly isn't the case for the, for the women, but we're in a, in a situation now where players, because of their financial stability and because of the choice that they have to play in tournaments 
that are not international cricket or their choice to kind of to, to take part in some tours and not others, that yes, that, that is a huge threat. I mean, the, the Ashes thing for me is I'm, I'm, I'm slightly furious about the idea that players are thinking about not going on an Ashes tour because um, they're worried about the quarantine requirements for their, for their wives and kids. Now, wives and kids going on trips <clears throat> in, in my time was, was very much a privilege. It wasn't expected. And I know times have changed a lot. But given that everybody is having to make various sacrifices, lots of sacrifices, lots of things are different because of COVID, it seems to me that the only people who are not willing to make any of that, you know, this is a one-off ashes trip, right? Chances are next time it comes around, four years' time, everything will be relatively back to normal and you'll have your families there for Christmas or the rest of it. But this is your job. It's how you earn your money. Now, if you're earning that much money that it doesn't matter to you whether you go on an Ashes trip anymore or whether or not there are no consequences for you pulling out of an Ashes trip and you just get welcomed straight back into the side again on the other side as though nothing has happened, then, then things have taken a pretty bad pass. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the future of, of touring, the future of long-form cricket, the future of, uh, of these types of events um, start to become very much in jeopardy. Um, uh, look, no, no, nobody at the moment, the only person that's sort of stuck their head above the parapet has been Stuart Broad. Um, uh, you know, funnily enough, he said, I'm going. It doesn't matter. Whatever happens, I'm going. It's an Ashes tour. He understands what that means. Um, I'd like one or two others to sort of stand up and do the same thing. Mm. Anderson has said the same as well. Uh, I think it's quite interesting with them that Broad doesn't have a family and uh, Anderson's family isn't a young one anymore. What did you think about the withdrawal of players like Butler, Besto, Wokes and Milan from the IPL? I, I took that as them doing that to, to increase the chances of them being able to go and willing to spend the entirety of the winter in Australia. Yeah, well, that's, that, that hopefully is the reason behind that. But it becomes increasingly difficult to say that with any certainty. The, the, the logical thing from a cricketing point of view was, would be to do, to do exactly that. Um, and, and, and I will ask them to forgive me if that is the exact reason why they've done it and that they are not thinking about not going to the Ashes, then, then fine, because that would entirely be the, the right thing to do. Mm. You turn down, you know, it's, it's, it's personal enrichment, the IPL, the Ashes is, is representing your country. Um, and, you know, so one, is, one would infinitely be more important than the other, particularly given that the, the situation financially that most of these guys are in um, is not what I would call a precarious one. We complain a lot about how condensed the schedule is. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but the BCCI released their winter schedule yesterday, and there basically isn't a gap of more than a week from now until the end of their tour of England next summer. What, what, what do you think should happen? Players are mentally knackered. Virat Kohli's resigned from two of his captaincy gigs in the last week. You're going to have more and more instances of B-sides playing supposedly full internationals. And I know it's partly due to COVID, but in the last year or so, we've almost normalised not picking your best side for a test match. What, what, what do you think should happen? Well, as much as, much as I've, I've sort of torn into the, 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 the idea of, of some players... Um, you know, being happier not playing any cricket, it would seem. Uh, the, the boards are, are just as much at fault, if not more. I mean, what you're, you're basically saying to the players, we're expecting you to pull out. We know you can't. We know you can't do all of this. If you want to, then you can. But we know you can't. We're expecting you to. Some of you not to not to play. Some of you won't make it. Some of you's careers will will end. Um, but we're just going to keep piling on the fixtures. And again, you know, 
the circumstances are, are, are extreme because tours being cancelled are, be, are trying to be rescheduled into, into gaps that almost don't exist. So again, there's, there's understanding there. But, the, but this has always been travelling in this direction. Um, you know, the, the gaps have become smaller. The amount of tours, the amount of fixtures, you know, teams playing, money-making, um, 50 over and T20 tours outside of the cycles of World Cups and things like that. that that's all about revenue and volume that's not about um playing cricket that is meaningful in any way mm. um and so that the, the situation has been has been coming for a long time and if it hadn't have been covid it would have been something else mm -hmm. there'd been another reason to have packed everything the way that the way that it's being packed um and what you and what you get is a diminished product because of that um if if teams if teams are happy sending their B team or C team to go and represent the country, then the sport itself suffers, isn't it? And then eventually it eats itself. What, what, what do you think will happen? Because every time there's a cancellation at the moment, there's the promise to then add more cricket into a calendar that was already right to, you know, it couldn't really be added, anything could be added more to it. Um, so what, what do you actually think is going to happen? The, the, the England-Africa series a year ago, that hasn't been rescheduled, but supposedly will. Uh, England are saying they want to go to Pakistan again. Um, in, India are saying they're happy to play a few more games in England next summer. You know, if you're getting players pulling out now, what 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 do you think is the most realistic way of of sorting this out going forward? I honestly don't know. I mean, the the only the only realistic thing to do is to kind of to, is to go right year zero. Nobody owes anybody anything, and let's and let's work this out with a blank sheet of paper, um, which is tough on the people who who have. Who have lost out, but I don't see I don't see how you can I don't see how you can keep up these commitments when they're short of finding another two months. Got any ideas for month names? <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know how you do it. I honestly don't. Um, yeah. And and it just makes it, if 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 teams if teams are sort of uh, are not honouring commitments that that they perhaps should that they kind of are, are putting off. For, for spurious reasons, then you only make that backlog worse. Mm -hmm. And the expectation um, rises that, or the, or the thought rises that there are certain, there are certain countries who will, you know, people will come to England to bail England out. England won't help you out. And eventually that, that, that bad will, will, uh, will tip over into something whereby you, you end up with a split of some sort. Um, you know, India already don't play Pakistan. Um, you know, everybody else is now deciding not to play Pakistan as well. <laughs> you know, that's not a, that is not a good situation. It's a terrible situation, and yet, and yet, um, there is, still isn't enough. There still isn't enough time in the calendar to get everything in that you need to get in. Um, no, I, I think the boards need to be braver, and I think they. I think there also needs to be a. There also needs to be sort of like a. Back in back in the old days, I remember two thousand and one. We travelled to India on um, the tour after the 2001 Ashes, and it was post 9/11. So one or two players didn't go on that trip. There were security concerns about India, you know, which ended up sort of in 2006 with, with what happened there in Mumbai. And the team went back and played in Mumbai, stayed in the same hotel, um, you know, after that. But in 2001, this, this whole thing was all very new. We had, you know, the army sleeping in the corridors of the hotels, etc. We weren't allowed to go anywhere, we weren't allowed to leave. But the players who decided not to come, that was fine. But it was held again. They didn't, they were then not picked for the, for the subsequent tour of New Zealand. It was like, well, you, it, 
we're not having people picking and choosing their tours there will be consequences about that now it seems to be that you can pretty much do what you like and it doesn't harm you in terms of your selection somewhere later down the road and i don't know i don't know if that's a sustainable thing anymore because as i said the players now are financial financially so comfortable that they can make a decision based around okay well i you know i'm not all that keen on going to australia for the ashes this year because my family can't go but it's not going to you know i've still got my contract and i've still got this that and the other so and i'll play next summer so there's no problem there's no jeopardy in, in deciding not to do your job and that is what it is you you sign you signed a contract to play cricket for england my job is to play cricket for england right Phil and Joe, um, I want to hear your takes on the cancellation of the Pakistan tours. Uh, this feels like the worst of the lot out of the many cancellations we've had recently. There's a line from the announcement that sticks out for me. This is the ECB press release. There is the added complexity for our men's T20 squad. We believe that touring under these conditions will not be ideal preparation for the ICC Men's T20 World Cup, where performing well remains a top priority for 2021. The PCB's new chief, Ramiz Raj, is understandably not happy. He said today, I'm severely disappointed in England's withdrawal, but as expected because this Western bloc gets united, unfortunately, and tries to back each other. So you can take any decision on the basis of security threat and perception. There's a sense of anger because first New Zealand got away without sharing information about the threat they were facing. Now England was expected... But this is a lesson for us because we go out of our way to accommodate and pamper these sides when they visit. And when we go there, we undergo strict quarantines and we tolerate their admonishments. But there is a lesson in this. That is that from now on, we will only go as far as is our interest. Um, Joe, let's go to you first. What, what, what do you make of all this? Well, you can certainly understand Rami's Rajah's frustration. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot over the last 24 hours or so. And the more I think about it, the more angry I get, really. I think it's worth separating out the difference between what's happened with New Zealand and, and England here and that the New Zealand government received what they believed to be a uh, specific and credible threat. Uh, New Zealand were already out there. I'm afraid at that point, I think New Zealand have no choice but to come home. I mean, the other option of staying there and something happening is just unimaginable. So I think we need to separate that from what the ECB have done, which is seem to use that as an excuse to pull out of a tour. Um, and then offered some kind of very flim flimsy explanations to do with uh, mental well-being um, and preparation for the World Cup. I mean, the I mean, first of all, in terms of mental well-being, um, they're talking about the issues that players have had of, of living in a, a COVID environment for as long as they have done, um, as though they didn't create this schedule that is uh, ridiculous, unsustainable, greedy. And then it gets to this point and they turn around and say to Pakistan, sorry, we can't come to you because our, our players are in, in this state as though they didn't cause the whole thing in the first place. So I think it is, it's pretty shameful really for that to be used as the excuse here. Um, what I would say, and I, I want to make this clear, if it, I mean, I, you probably gathered, I think England should go. I think England should send a squad out there. But I would add that if England players, individuals, didn't want to go to that tour, I think that's absolutely understandable. No cricketer should go somewhere they don't feel comfortable. But I'd be amazed if England couldn't have put together uh, a squad of 15 to go out to Pakistan for this series. England players have been going to Pakistan for several years now in the, in the PSL. Uh, other countries have been going to Pakistan for several years. England would be able to find a squad if, if, if they wanted to. And, you know, you could say that is not ideal preparation for the World Cup, as, as they say. Well, sorry, you... you 
planned this tour, you arranged this tour, you agreed to it. That has to mean something. And if you start pulling out of tours without any justifiable cause, then that's a, that's a very, very dangerous precedent. I mean, they've, uh, they've stuffed them here, really. This is, yeah, this is precedent for... Now countries will feel, like, feel they can pull out of a tour of Pakistan um, without really giving a justifiable reason. Uh, Australia are meant to be going to Pakistan in February. Do we think that's going to happen? I mean, no chance. They've got a shameful record on pulling out of tours they don't particularly fancy as well. So, yeah, it's pretty pretty dark stuff. And Ramiz Rajoy, I mean, he his his statements are as colourful as, as his commentary has been in the past. But, you know, I can completely understand his frustration and they've been really badly let down by the ECB here. Mm, it's important to say that uh, the, the British High Commission in, in Pakistan today said that there's been no increase in security risk of going to Pakistan, that they fully support the tour going ahead. Um, and they even clarified that the ECB is not a branch of the British government, uh, such as the reaction in Pakistan. And the, and the, and the security organisation that the ECB uses had obviously done their own in, independent checks as well and had okayed the tour. So, so every... Every T had been crossed and every I had been dotted regarding the safety of, of the thing. Um, for a four-day, four-night stopover, basically. Yeah, that's also very important to add as well, isn't it? Four nights. And so to hide again behind this COVID thing is spellbindingly hypocritical, considering what Pakistan did last summer to pull England out of the hole. What, why do you think they pulled out? Because I, I genuinely don't know. <laughs> Because the reason they give, they've given, I just don't understand. If preparation is not ideal, there's very little that's ideal at the moment. Why didn't they send 15 people out? Maz Rashad, the well-known Pakistani statistician, tweeted today, for three years in a row, the largest contingent of overseas players in the Pakistan Super League has come from England. Mm. 14 UK players travelled to Pakistan for the PSL in 2019, mm. 15 in 2020 and 12 in 2021. Forming a group of 15 players for two T20Is wasn't really that difficult. I, I, don't, I genuinely don't understand why England didn't send out a squad? No, and it's a fair question, and I don't think we'll ever get a reasonable answer. Um, I heard what, what you said to Mark in that pre-recorded interview absolutely stands up as if they couldn't have found 15 cricketers prepared to go. Um, Pakistan were not expecting England's A-star team to turn up. That wasn't ever really in the deal, and that's okay because there is something bigger and more, more potent at play here. There is an obligation and an imperative for all kinds of reasons to try and get this thing on. Um, and if it meant that a few players who might have been appearing in the IPL or who might be multi-multi-format players, if they weren't coming and some of the, the second-tier players were coming, then so be it. So be it. Um, it would, as Mark said in that, in that piece, it's hard to imagine that the ECB have, in the last 72 hours, gone round every single player, surveyed every player tried to possibly twist arms and found that they're not for turning, that's probably unlikely too. The, the subtext, there are two subtexts to me. One, they, they never wanted this tour in the first place. They were doing it as a favour. Uh, and two, it feels like a bargaining chip to persuade certain people to turn up on that, on that plane to go to Australia. That, that's my inclination, that they're afraid of what might happen, even if it hasn't even materialised yet. I'm not saying the players have said we're not going to do this if we, if we have to do that. But maybe it's just a fear that he's now... It's a bargaining chip. That's yeah. how I read it. And players are saying something has to give. And Chris Wokes said it. Um, and it came from the right place. You know, Chris Wokes pulled out of the IPL. But his, his phrase resonates. Something had to give. 
Well, I think the ECB have seen an opportunity here uh, to to lighten the load, to use COVID and this this spurious security scare as a smokescreen for them to to just chip a, chip a, another week off the schedule and try and use that as leverage along to to persuade certain players who they need to be to be freed up and prepared morally to go and play in this increasingly soulless looking pageant between two very privileged institutions um who who expect the direction of travel to 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 flow towards them and them alone and it's hard to quibble with anything that Ramiz or rather it's hard to quibble with the tone of what Ramiz Raja has said because all right if you use the term western block then that's inflammatory and and that will inflame the base but you absolutely understand where he's coming from because for too long there has been that sense of of the haves and the have-nots and the and and those who who call the shots and those who who don't have the heft and the power to really stand up to this kind of hegemonic two-tiered effect in, in international cricket and if he can't temper his tone because he's he's absolutely furious, then I absolutely get that as well. I you know I respect that. And the have nots can have even less. It's being reported that Pakistan, the PCB could lose up to yeah, 15, fifteen to twenty five yeah. million US dollars if the Australia tour doesn't go ahead as well as the the two tours already lost. And this, and this is I I completely agree with Phil's reading of why England haven't gone, but it still doesn't explain why they haven't sent a B team, a Lions team. Apart from maybe they just think it's too messy and they can't be asked. I mean that. Yeah. I, I, otherwise, I can't. I just. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. And the frustration is that this tour was. I mean, it's been talked about for a long time, but it was confirmed in November. The men's tour. The women's tour was confirmed in January. What has changed between now and then that the ECB didn't see? They knew their fixture list. Yeah. They knew there were concerns about security in Pakistan. The fixture list has been as busy as they planned it, and security is still as it was in Pakistan. So that there is no justifiable cause for this. No, I think in general, uh, it's a bit simplistic to blame national boards and administrators. Um, but I think the threshold has been breached on this one, and I think even the most kind of balanced observers of English cricket uh, find find it impossible not to 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 join the queue condemning this particular decision um they had a chance joe they had a chance to do something really quite seismic here because as soon as the new zealand story came through we thought oh we all did didn't we and we knew there was this kind of air of inevitability about it well they had they had the power to in a, in one swoop change so much of the narrative around this notion of international cricket being squeezed to within an inch of its life to this notion of the powerful punching down on the powerless, which is so much a part of the modern narrative now. And with good reason, increasingly, they had a chance to really redirect that narrative and do something courageous for the game. And instead, timidly, they just fell into that kind of predictable place. Uh, And people are looking at it and feeling enough is enough. Do you think, um, obviously, they, they felt enabled to do this because of the security risk that New Zealand suffered. Do you wonder, in a way, whether what happened with India at Old Trafford 
has also liberated them to think, well, you know, if, that, if that's the way things are going, if you don't want to play, you don't have to play. Um, and in turn, Ramiz Raja has turned around today and said, well, we're not going to bend over backwards for you guys. This is very dangerous knock-on effect that we've got here. If, if, if no one feels they owe anyone anything, Hugely. then the whole game suffers. Well, that's the saddest part of, about this. It's last summer, English cricket was on its knees. West Indies and Pakistan come into the eye of the storm and one of the countries worst affected by COVID in the world. They came over here. They had to endure, endure very long quarantine periods. Uh, Pakistan ended up staying uh, in, 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 in facilities far from luxury in Derby. Uh, they went through all of that. Pakistan have been uh, some of the closest friends to English cricket over a long time now. They've come here they've, basically every, every year. year. since 2016, they've come here. Um, and they've come twice in a row when England, England and the UK have been severely affected by the pandemic more than anyone else. I, th- I think it's desperately sad that England have, haven't reciprocated that in any way. Um, and it's also... We haven't heard from anyone at the ECB today that no one's fronted up to the press. There's that statement last evening. Uh, I mean, that's shameful in itself. That there are, and the only reason you can think why that hasn't happened is because there are questions that are too difficult to answer. Mm. Yeah, the final thing I say on this is it's rare that you see everyone in English cricket kind of on the same side. I've not really seen anyone arguing uh, that this, this is fair and legitimate in any way. It, it feels... Um, it, the fabric of the international game feels under threat more than ever in, in my my memory, at least. And I don't think that's over dramatic anymore. Because it just keeps piling up. Every week, we sit around this table and we have to disseminate the latest grim shit show. Excuse my language. Um, and this is the latest. Everything seems to now be playing out on some kind of geopolitical, diplomatic level. Uh, Pakistan and India don't play each other ever. Uh, and now we have this latest example as you say, Australia pull out left, right and centre. England aren't going to Bangladesh. They're not going to Pakistan. Um, they'll find a way to get the ashes on, no doubt, because that's the pageant that brings in the bucks. But this is not what we're here for. This is not what the game is designed for. It's not designed to make money. It's designed, it's designed to serve the many millions of people who adore it, in spite of ourselves. Moving on to, to, to a topic that's not wholly unrelated... The IPL kicked into gear on Sunday, but the big news from Indian cricket over the last week has been the twin resignations from Virat Kohli. He's, resi- he's resigning from both the India T20 captaincy following the World, World Cup this autumn and also the RCB captaincy following this year's IPL. Um, and I think in relation to the, the fixture list the BCCI put out yesterday, where the Indian first team, the Indian first men's team, basically don't have a, a gap of more than a week and a half from now to the end of their tour of England next summer, you can see why Coley wants to play less cricket. Beside all, all these discussions that we have, there is just so much cricket. And um, you've got the biggest name player in the world stepping back from two gigs uh, when he's still, you know, he's, he's, he's still 32. Um, I'm sure he doesn't want to resign in, in any way or form, but he, this is the way in which he feels he needs to survive as an international cricketer, which is, which is quite sad, I think. Yeah, well, we spoke about it last week. Um, for all that many threw the book at India for the old Traffordshire muzzle, they are the most pliant and, in terms of days on the park, hard-working cricket team in the world. Um, and, again, that phrase, something has to give, well, it's given with Kohli. Um, I think it's a smart move, It actually, and it's a very astute move on his part. Uh, even somebody as 
you know, pushing the the, the the edges of sanity with how intense he is regarding regarding his game and and bringing that incredible energy to the to the thing that can't go on uh, in perpetuity. And so, yeah, I think it's a smart move, and it'll probably end up kind of extending his stuff in the really really big stuff elsewhere. I guess that's the that's the positive to take from the Coley news that if, if he's giving up these two jobs, he probably really wants the other two for as long as he as long as he can hold on to them for. Yeah, absolutely. But I still think it, it will hurt Cody to to be in a team and not captain it it's almost unimaginable to think of Cody on a cricket field and, and and not being captain now I mean it won't won't come easy to him um, I'm not sure what he'll be like to captain as well that might be quite interesting it, to it would be great to see Sharma because they're the yin and yang aren't they of Indian cricket it'd be great to see Sharma just sort of striding around sorry Virat a little bit finer <laughs> a little bit finer no 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 no, no. A, bit, a bit squarer now I just can't wait to see it um, could, I, you might be touching on this but and this is totally kind of going back to what we said I just want a word out for for Wokes and for Broad I think Broad was actually mentioned by Mark Butcher wasn't he yeah. regarding what they're what they're prepared to do for this winter coming up and I think that is a that is a positive element of it that Wokes and others dropped out of the IPL in order to to make themselves available for other more seismic moments for English cricket this winter. So, so there are still players out there that are making the kinds of decisions off their own bat that you know us as fans want them to be making. You know, and the final component of that Ashes squad, if it does go ahead, will be interesting to see. But of course, in the end, we want. England's best cricketers on that plane rather than the plane to the UAE to play a bit of smash and bash. Yeah. In fairness, though, the the, the four guys who are most likely to play in that out of the IPL group all pulled out of the yeah. IPL. Yeah. Uh, Broad said he's he's going to go. Yeah. Anderson said he's going to go. So I think and, the signs and, and are better than they were two weeks and ago. And there's a lot there's a lot of criticism at the minute of player power, and I think that's worth pointing out regarding that collective players. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, at the time of recording, England are 2-0 up over New Zealand in an ODI series. When I spoke to Butch this morning, it was before the third game was going on. Right now, New Zealand are 13 for two, chasing 179. Uh, England recovered very well after, Luke, I think they were about 80 for seven or something like that. Brunty. Um, yeah, she, she, she's got She's reliable, nine. isn't she? Reliable <laughs> source of runs down there. Absolutely, now. absolutely. Um, well, I caught up with Butch to discuss the first two games that series, including Charlie Dean's impressive start to international cricket, as well as finals day that took place on Saturday. Talk to me about Charlie Dean. So she's a 20-year-old offie who took a fourth in the second ODI. Um, So her first series as an international cricketer. She looks like she gives it um, a rip and also doesn't have the most conventional release in her off-break. There's like a wrist flick uh, going on. Uh, What are your impressions of her? It's that sort of a mowing alley type sort of mm. action on the ball. Yeah, I mean, she looks she looks handy. She bowls a really sort of attacking line to right-handers, sort of, you know, foot and a half outside off stump, which means she does, you know, she does get driven through extra cover a little bit, whatever, but it also offers up wicket-taking opportunities. Um, and, um, yeah, she seems pretty fearless, you know, just straight out of uh, playing in the, for the Vipers and... Uh, whatever, very, very popular. All the girls sort of jumped up and down for joy when she got given her cat and all that kind of stuff. So England need a, an off-spinner. Um, they haven't really replaced Laura Marsh from, well, when did she last play? It would have been the World Cup, wouldn't it, in 2017. Um, Australia, the problem for England always is that the, the women's team is always being compared to Australia. It doesn't matter what they do against anybody else. kind of doesn't matter. It's, it's them and Australia. Um, Australia have just won their 25th game in, in a row um, beating India last night. 
Um, and they have they have a lot of left-handers in their side. So England are kind of desperate to have somebody that might turn the ball away from them. So um, good start for Charlie Dean. And, uh, you know, England want an off-spinner. She is one. She bats pretty handily as well, decent in the field. So, um, you know, they're, they're very keen for her to, uh, to, to keep playing a part. And that four for the other day will give her a massive amount of confidence. Um, Danny Wyatt on recall scored an important half-century in the second game from number seven. There was an interesting moment where she was involved in a run-out with Lauren Winfield-Hill, her likely rival for a spot in both the side and the squad for this Winters World Cup. Um, she's opened a lot in the semi-recent past. Were, were you impressed by what you saw of her at, at number seven? Yeah, I mean, it, she played really well, actually. She had to dig in and out of a hole, so it wasn't simply a case of going out there and, and doing what she does in T20 cricket. So she had to sort of get herself in and get a partnership going. She had that one with Winfield Hill. Um, <laughs> both of them trying to put the bat in. You know, I mean, Lauren Winfield Hill got past the 20s and whatever, and she, she needs a score at the top of the order. Um, but it was interesting because England obviously went in sort of a seam bowler light and, and Danny Wyatt, plugged in there at number seven where Catherine Brunt would probably normally bat um, and she played really really well um, and has given England a, an option down the order should they feel that England have got lots of bowling options you see so Heather Knight is very underused but when she does bowl she tends to she tends to be handy but she's an off spinner as well and so England might find a, find scenarios during the course of the World Cup or I was going to say a tour of the subcontinent and Pakistan whereby they don't need quite as many seam-up bowlers and, and they, can, they can sort of plug the gaps with Heather Knight bowling at the top and play an extra batter and Danny Wyatt. So that's done a no, no, um, no harm whatsoever batting down there. Was it 60-odd not out? And actually got England up to a total that they, they always... They, 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 they look like defending from the very beginning, but then before the rain came down in that second ODI, it looked like they, they'd lost the game. And then there's a bizarre... The bizarre calculations of Duckworth-Lewis ended up sending New Zealand back out there with a higher rate than the one that they left the field with. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of, they're reliant too much on a couple of players, New Zealand. Once Sophie Devine was knocked over, England were, were favourites from there on in. Um, what are your thoughts of England as a side with the World Cup not that far away? I think they're a good team. I think they're a good team. I, they're not, I don't, I think they, I think they lack a certain amount of boldness. I think that, that, that quite often, their, their actual superi- superiority does not show itself. Um, they, they play at a, a slightly, you know, a slightly conservative way. That means that on paper, you look at that, you, you line them up against this New Zealand team and you think, well, woman for woman, girl for girl, they kind of, they, they've got them covered. But it ends up being a little closer, a little bit more nervy perhaps than it ought to be. Um, and I think if they can find a way of, of taking the handbrake off a little bit, that they would that they would be destroying teams um, and really kind of giving Australia notice um, that, uh, that they're coming for them. Um, but but they're a good team, you know. On any given day, they can they can beat the very best. They can beat Australia, and, and nobody else really can should be able to live with them. Mm. Um, but I think a, a little a little flick in the switch in terms of, of attitude and actually and actually putting their dominance out there a bit more um, would be key for them. Do you enjoy finals day? Yeah, it was good. It was good. I got Nick Knight got a, a big money transfer to the IPL, so I ended up having to present the whole thing. Um, so, but, dis, but despite it being a long old day, um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Cricket-wise, there were there were some magic moments, weren't there? I think it it was perhaps not not the most um, not the most compelling cricket throughout the, the three matches. 
Um, but all of them had wonderful moments. And of course, the Jordan Cox thing was just, uh, that was out of this world, that catch. Um, that's as, as that's as good as anything I've ever seen. We're just staggeringly good. That was an amazing 15 minutes, though, because you had the yeah. Jordan Cox catch that wasn't allowed. And then everyone, you know, flicking through the MCC law book and obviously remembering law 19.5.1 that says that there's got to be a bit of intent when there's contact between fielders for the umpires to to over overrule that. And you said it on commentary, I've never seen that before. Like I've never I've never seen anything like it before at all. No, and I think what's sort of on comms, you're kind of looking at it and you're thinking, I, I know why they're looking at this, but I didn't know 19.5, whatever it was. But then when you read 19.5, there's no, there's no intent there, is there? I mean, I don't, I'm not quite sure what Deems was doing, Daniel Bondraman was doing there, because he was kind of running in the direction of, of the ball, but not really looking like he was ever interested in taking the catch. And all he, he just got in the way and nearly smashed the bloke over. <laughs> it was just, what are you doing? Um, yeah. So, um, but anyway, you know, the, the, it was. I think yeah, they got the decision wrong there on the day, um, and but but it allowed us the. Uh, who knows that the, the catch that came afterwards might not have happened otherwise. So yeah. it was and worth it just for that. You see it on um, uh, who was out there now? Is Mike Burns was one of them, wasn't he? And uh, um, and and Bumble, I think. And it, I could I, I sort of lip read. Burnsy saying, I've got no idea what's happening. <laughs> I wasn't at the ground, but just watching it off the television, um, there, there really are very few days like it on the British sporting calendar. And we talked about it, we talked about the blast a lot on the pod this year, but the knockout stages of the blast have, have been brilliant. They're easy to follow. The, the, the four quarter finals were brilliant. The first semi final on finals day was excellent. And it's you know, the crucial difference between the business end and the blast and the group stages is, is that it's easy to follow. Do, do you think that English cricket just needs to make a bigger deal of the of the business end of the blast? Well, yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, it needs to, it's needed to have made a bigger deal of the blast full stop ever since it started, really. It's always been a, it's always been a, 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 a really good, fun product with, with some, you know, with some, some brilliant crickets and brilliant moments in it. It's just never... English cricket has never really taken the opportunity to push it as being something that is that is worthy of that sort of attention of, of, of IPL or even hundred levels of attention. Now, the, the being easy to follow part is huge in that, and I've I've complained about this working on it and playing on it for years. That if there are seven eight games all happening at the same time, it's impossible to kind of to keep track of of what's going on and who's doing what, and you miss all the water cooler moments and stuff. And that's one of the things that the hundred is. is has provided, isn't it? Mm. Um, now, I, you know, I think the future of the blast is very interesting um, because there's no doubt whatsoever that the hundred has now usurped it as being the sort of like the the main the main competition, and that's whether people like it or not. It just is. You're gonna have to get used to it. So, what happens to the blast? You know, how do you, how do you go about um, fitting it in? Making sure that it that it's relevant, making sure that sort of there is there are high high profile knockout stages, making sure perhaps that it actually has a has a, a reason to exist alongside the hundred, and you know a perfectly valid one and a, a really important one. Um, I've got my own ideas, but I'll save them for another time. Well, thank you very much, Butch. I'll let you get on with your day. Enjoy the rest of the England New Zealand series. Yep, I'm off there now. Joe, what was your moment of the week? Oh, good. We can talk about something <laughs> fun and enjoyable and something that actually happened rather than got cancelled. Um, it was, of course, Super Kent 
winning at finals day. <laughs> super Ken. Hashtag Edit Super that out. Ken. You're, you're, Edit that you're out. allowed to use a hashtag now. Have you seen Rob Key getting very angry with the Kent Twitter account? You've seen this, have you? I haven't. No. So he's saying that so Joe Denley bowled for none by Chris Rushworth. Hashtag Super Kent is, is the kind of what they do on every tweet on right, the, so on the Kent when account. Your main man's got... Got, he's got, got a bit frustrated with it, but th- on this occasion, um, th- they gen- they genuinely were um, super, very good. <laughs> I was going to say very good. Um, yeah, you know, this is a this is a, a famous old club that's been starved of silverware for a, for a long time. Uh, is it fourteen years? Yeah, fourteen yeah. years since the last trophy, discounting the Division Two title a few years back. Um, they've had some pretty tough times financially, even this year. Um, championship wise it's been a been a bit of a disaster after you tip them for the title mm-hmm. yes doing well in Div 3 though doing well in Div 3 <laughs> um, and they had their team was decimated by COVID that to put out a second string or even kind of third string yeah. at, at one point uh, so to see them do it at finals day was was very heartening uh, I mean it's remarkable they haven't been there uh, for so long uh, they've had three quarterfinals in the last six years and and Key did say at the start It'll be how they deal with the pressure of a finals day. Can they continue the, the form they've shown in the in the South Group, which they topped? Uh, and they were fantastic. They were by far the best team on the day. Uh, had some tricky moments in each game, but came through them fantastically well. Um, mm. And the hero of the day, without doubt, was was young Jordan Cox, um, and a bit of Darren Stevens, but yeah. but largely Jordan Cox, uh, who got a, a golden duck in the in the first match, the semi final against Sussex, uh, and then took Kent from what was looking like a sort of decent-ish total but not a match-winning one to, to what actually looked like a, a, a total they could defend uh, hit a kind of 50 and 20-odd balls uh, and then in the field as Butch touched on did the most extraordinary <laughs> parry piece of fielding you've, you've ever seen um, and it was just yeah finals day is still as, as you and Butch discussed is still a great day in the English cricketing calendar it is like nothing else and it was good to see Kent actually get there and, and finish the job. I remember Ryan McLaren taking a hat-trick in, in whatever year it was, 2007, 2007. Yeah, 2007. Joe Denny was in that side, wasn't he? And he was. Stevens, yeah. And Stevens as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's got to be the longest stretch from, from I mean, one pretty much. To another. <laughs> I mean, that's probably the stretch of the whole <laughs> yeah, exactly. tournament. Yeah. You'd have thought so. Oh, did, did Stevens get to a finals day with so, Leicestershire? So before? Stevens won it in 2004, two <laughs> weeks after Archie Lennon's birth. Scene of my mascot race, 2004. <laughs> what? You were in it? We've been through this. We definitely have not. We definitely have not. Well, maybe not on the show. Okay. Okay. I, I finished 13th out of 18. Very creditable, <laughs> I thought. And then had a, ru- a run in with Lanky the Giraffe after. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he, he well. called me all kinds of things in the dressing room. Honestly, <laughs> squared up to me. That's another story. Um, but yeah, I thought Kent were were, were really impressive. Um, really strong batting lineup. Bell Drummond was excellent in the semi-final. Yeah. And then with the ball, they were quite weird in a way in that you felt they were almost searching for the final eight overs a little bit with Stevens, Denley and Stewart. But um, Clarkson, Milnes and Kais Ahmed are re- really, really excellent. Really good. I mean, you would say across the four teams, Sean of a few overseas players, they weren't gun attacks on day, I would say. Um, you look down the Hampshire and Sussex batting lineup, and they looked a couple of batters short as well. But... Um, whether the, even if the quality wasn't always fantastic, the entertainment was was great, and uh, yeah, I think I'm I'm pleased with Sam Billings as well. Who I think it, he's taken a bit of stick from a, a section of Kent fans for not not being perceived to not being committed enough as club captain to the cause, and that he goes off and plays in the IPL. He's obviously got a hundred gig. 
He's been unfortunate with injuries. He plays for England as well. There is a sense that he's not around that much and, and, and does he care? And I mean, from speaking to him a few times over the years, he absolutely mm. does care. Just because other opportunities to present, present themselves to him because he is such a talented player doesn't mean that he, he doesn't care about the county he's come from and, and otherwise he wouldn't have bothered taking on the captaincy. I like the county captaincy is great when you win at finals day and you get to hold up the trophy. I get the impression county captaincy is often not much fun. Um, so if you, if you take it on, you're not doing it for, for the grandeur. I think you're doing it because you, you care about the club you're playing for. Mm. I do like this, my struggle, Sam Billings <laughs> narrative. <laughs> Anyway, moving on, um, just a quick mini pod announcement. We've set up an email address, podcast at wisdom.com for listeners to send in longer questions, thoughts or bits of feedback to us. That's podcast at wisdom.com. Have we had any yet? Uh, we have, we, we have had a, we've had a few and we'll, we'll, get, to, we'll, get, we'll get to a Sorry. couple. We had a nice one um, straight, straight in, which was yeah. absolutely justified the podcast account absolutely, immediately. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Um, uh, for next week's show, though, we want to hear listeners' moments of the summer. So anything from an amazing game that you played in, a lovely day out at a game, a cricket book you read, a catch, an innings you watched, anything vaguely cricket-related. We'll be reading out a few of them on next week's show to coincide with the end of the English summer. So send those into podcast at wisdom.com. Are we doing the, the, the season roundup next week? Uh, kind of in two parts because the county championship finishes this week and then you've so. still got the Bob Willis trophy. Um, did you know that the... Got the Willis. The, <laughs> the Willis. Um, did you know that the Sheffield Shield starts before the English season ends? Oh, this is your thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's not my thing. It is your what, thing. What, what? You do look like looking at calendars. You uh, do enjoy it. <laughs> an do inspection I? of a calendar. Well you, just know, well, you know a lot yeah, about the calendar. Fair enough, fair yeah. enough. Anyway, as, as, as these two mentioned, that we, we've had a few questions in already, so thanks for those. So Steve Connor wrote in to say, I keep seeing people arguing that a better marketed revamped blast could have done the same job as the 100. I sort of get it, but I struggle to see what it would have looked like, particularly without upsetting those same people that dislike the 100. Is it really a case of the blast just needing better marketing? As been mentioned on the pod before, following the blast is almost impossible until the quarterfinals. I can imagine a revamp with an eight team division one to allow for a game a day format but presumably this would mean ecb cash boosts for those top eight teams to draw in the best overseas players and it would also in turn lead to players moving to those counties over time it seems to me like a top division plus a load of cash would have a similar effect as the premier league did in football in widening the gap between big and small teams that's before you get on to how a women's competition would fit around it and i also instinctively feel that counties are a tough sell i don't think people strongly identify with Middlesex or Leicester. I think there are a lot of valid points in there. Joe, do you want to respond to any of that? Yeah, lots of very sensible points. I think, to be honest, in the past, I've perhaps fallen into the trap of saying, oh, just the blast needs better marketing if, it, if it's going to kind of be elevated to another level. And I do think the ECB definitely could have done more. But there is an inherent problem with having 18 counties and trying to make a competition that is compact and easy for people to follow. It just, it just doesn't really work in that sense. It's got loads of other things going for it, but that that is a failure of of the makeup of the tournament and we saw with 100 whether you like it or not it is easy to follow the schedule works perfectly and i don't think the blast ever could have become that um i don't really want to go down the route of uh, i'm still feeling tired after the cancellation chat to be honest but in terms of the 100 versus the blast but i think i think you, like, i think the way they need to improve the blast next year however you do it is to, is to 
not have the group stage so separate from the quarterfinals and then so separate from from finals day uh i think you just lose all the momentum you, you've got uh we are as promised on a previous show gonna sit down and map out our own domestic schedules because at the moment we all just say what we think should happen but none of it no fits one together. knows <laughs> <laughs> that's why we need to figure it to out at least give it a go yeah, yeah. so we, we will phil anything to add um I think Joe summed that up brilliantly and also a brilliant letter, mm, right? If that's the brilliant. standard, Steve, is it? Yeah, Steve, Steve yeah. You don't yeah. do that kind of stuff on Twitter, do you? No, you that's don't. Superb yeah. work. Um, sign him up. <laughs> um, the, yeah, I think Joe's absolutely right. One thing maybe to, to add on top of that is that one of the possibly unintended consequences of the 100 and the reaction against the, the 100 from your rank and file county fan is that there is an e- even more of an attachment to your county because you feel like it's a more existential threat to it. And so what we saw, albeit with this laughable two-month gap between the end of the groups and the start of the quarters, what you did see was some some quarterfinal games that were memorably brilliant. You know, the game down at Taunton was an absolute stunner, and they were sellouts, apart from the Chesley Street game, where they had to. it was a neutral ground. All the other games were basically sellouts. They were heaving brilliant atmospheres. Um, and what you saw as well on Saturday, admittedly, I was at a wedding, but I did watch the highlights on Sunday morning. And what you saw was cricket that really meant something mm. to the punters and the players and therefore the, the people who were watching on TV as well. And it, ha- and it, and it has substance to yeah. it. So, so despite the fact that it feels like it's been pushed to one side a little bit, if there is some kind of unforeseen benefit to having the hundred sort of bulldozer its way into the heart of the season it is that there might be a knock-on effect in a positive way regarding how people attach themselves to their to their t20 sides and by extension to their 50 oversides um clearly the schedule is is a, is a balls up um i have a lot of sympathy for alan fordham at the ecb who's got to try and pull the whole thing together um when he's got a thousand different voices in his ear uh but yeah i, I think I don't think there is much more that could be done regarding the fundamental point that Steve asked asked about regarding the the marketing of the thing. I think it's hard. I think it always has been hard. I think it's hard to to bring in newbies into into this peculiar world. I think that's that was one of the good things about the hundred unquestionably, and that was the fundamental point of the hundred. And I think they did that relatively well. I think that if we'd been able to do it in county cricket, in 50 and 20 over cricket, then we'd have got a bit further down the line. But it is inherently difficult. I do agree with his point about the knockouts, though. And I've said it before. I think the knockouts should be on free-to-air television, if at all possible. I think what you, what is different between the Blast and the 100 is the, there's an infectious enthusiasm in the crowds. I think that if you're not previously engaged with T20 cricket or English domestic cricket at all I think you'd actually get more invested in the blast semi-final uh, quarter-final rather at Taunton than you would at any 100 game that atmosphere was just unlike anything you really get in English cricket and I think it's really important that that is showcased to as many people as possible at the moment it isn't really um, and you'd like to think that Sky given some of the what they've done in the recent years might be open to that as well that they do seem to see the benefits now of not just keeping it all under their umbrella because actually by showing it to people they might have a bit more interest and, and potentially come on board for uh for more cricket and even a sky subscription possibly definitely um we've been recording a few of our podcasts recently from sixes cricket club if you haven't heard about sixes sixes cricket club is the new cricket themed social entertainment venue with restaurant bar and cricket nets all Wisdom podcast listeners can receive 10% off their food and drink by quoting 
Wisden 10 on their booking notes. The final round of the county championship began early today. Hampshire are playing Lancashire. Warwickshire are up against Somerset and Notts are playing Yorkshire in Division 1. Hampshire started top, followed closely by Warwickshire, Lancashire and Notts. One of those four teams will be champions. Um, Lancashire have started pretty well. They've bowled out Hampshire for 143. If they win that game, oh no, Lancashire are 12 for 2 after 13 over so who knows who knows I'm not going to predict it Basically, because we have no idea we have no happen, idea I think it's, one thing you can say is if all these games get two and a half days cricket then you'll get results in each of them mm. uh, judging by the pitch at Trent Bridge in particular and I've been at Chelmsford today which will be in Div 2 yeah um Result pitches and mm. then some. Well, Joe Clark scored a brilliant 100 today at Trent Bridge on a very, very green wicket. Um, Literally a wicket that you can't see. Mm. And and just rubbing it in, there's a wicket next to a pitch next <laughs> to it that you can see. Pretty pretty grassless. Yeah, look, Joe Clark, we talk about him a lot. Um, that is a potentially very significant 100 in, the, in this lad's career because this is a big, big game. They were 70-odd for three at lunch and he's made a 100 here. I haven't seen much of it, but you say that he's played well. And this is a player that, well, he makes four-day runs. He makes white, one ball, white ball runs yeah. as well, but he makes four-day runs. I wonder if it's significant, if if not not necessarily win it, if they qualify for the Bob Willis Trophy final, and then he gets a televised Red Bull game. Uh, and kind yep. of what we were talking yep. about, Josh Bohannon last week, you know, Nasser and Atherton need to talk about something for a couple of days, then suddenly they, they see Joe Clark. And I, I think with Clark more so than probably any other uncapped batsman outside the England team, is when you watch him bat, he just looks class. He like instantly looks better than the average county batsman. And Especially yeah. when there might be a few Ashes spots up for grabs. Exactly, as well. exactly, exactly. Um, Phil, what's your moment of the week? It happened today, um, day one of the final round, uh, and I went to Chelmsford, um, and it was Ryan Tender Charter's send-off. And at lunchtime... The Essex players uh, made a guard of honour for him and his partner and their two children were there and he was introduced by the chairman and then he took the microphone and spoke beautifully for a few minutes. Um, The crowd, well, the the ground was packed, absolutely packed. And I think... think Division 2 finale. Division two finale. They do get a trophy though if they do finish <laughs> seventh. Yeah, they do get a trophy. And I was talking they to one. Can get of... one for division three as well. No, that... I don't think they um, do. <laughs> I don't think one does. Rather, Joe. Um, yeah, and and I was talking to someone at Essex, and they were wondering how to recognise it if they do win that that mini league. What do you do? Do you do you social media it to within an inch of its life, or do you just kind of recognise? All right, it is still you've won, you you finished seventh out of eighteen. What does that really amount to? Anyway. By the by, Tender Charter's send-off today. He's 41 years old. Um, he's retired from all professional cricket except for his swan song in the T20 World Cup, where, of course, he, he still turns out for the Netherlands. Um, so he, he, he spoke very much from the heart for the crowd in the, at lunchtime, and then I was lucky enough to have an hour or so with him afterwards, uh, just the two of us, and... It's probably one of the the most rewarding interviews I've ever done. Uh, I knew he was a cut above. I didn't know he was uh, he was quite as quite as impressive as as he came across today. And this was a conversation that touched on cricket, but was more 
more about life itself. And I know that sounds pompous, but it was. He spoke about race, diversity, identity, um, the wonders of the NHS, uh, where he said, he echoed a line that he gave to the magazine last year, his children were born premature a year and a half ago. And he said in the two and a half weeks, him and his partner were in the hospital, he didn't hear the same accent once. And this, and from an itinerant cricketer who's led various different lives, that's a really beautiful thing to hear. And it's not the kind of thing that you hear cricketers say. He spoke uh, powerfully and with real conviction about um, race in South Africa, where he grew up. Um, he said something fascinating regarding one of his regrets from his career being that he didn't speak up enough. He didn't use his platform enough. He said that cricketers and sports people by def by extension can be reluctant to come forward, can be reluctant to put their head above the parapet. Uh, and he said he's felt guilty in his career uh, for not having done that enough. And he had a conversation with Stephen Davis, the Somerset cricketer, and Stephen Davis famously you know came 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 out and so on and so on and 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 he said Tendershata that if there is one thing that he really does regret it's that he didn't use his platform a little bit more but listening to him talk uh and hearing what he's planning for his next chapter if you like um I think that platform will be there for him again I really do and I'm not getting carried away here he speaks so unusually and his experience is so vast and he's so intelligent and he has that kind of that indefinable thing that you probably you call integrity or something like that. Uh, he's already done level two coaching. He's completing his level three soon enough. He's been on the Gary Kirsten coaching course and he, he sort of said rather embarrassedly that he kind of came out right at the top of that and so on and so on. And so he's got Kirsten essentially as his mentor. And he said, I want to coach at the top of the game. He said, that's what his, that's what his, his end game is. It'd be hard not to see him coaching Essex at some point down the line. And genuinely, fast forward five years, um, he has all the components that you'd look for, for for a national coach. He's worldly. He's intelligent. He's empathetic. He has immense respect within the game. He's been successful, hugely, as a captain that completely turned that rabble around. Uh, and I can see him going as far as it, you can go in the coaching game. I really can. Um, now, look, that might be nonsense. <laughs> Feels very Mikel Arteta pre-Arsenal appointment. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, no, but I think it's worth just dwelling on his, his playing career as well. It, I mean, he's been is. at Essex for nearly two decades. Uh, he averages, famously averages 67 ODI cricket, uh, 29 first-class hundreds, Average of 44. He's just a, a brilliant player who's been at the forefront of Essex's recent success as well. And he took them up from Division 2, then oversaw the incredible championship win in 2017. And then, of course, the double in 2019. He wasn't captain of the T20 side, but he was still a key part of that side. Uh, and, of course, they won the, the, the Willis last year as well, with him still involved in that setup. Um, his record is astonishing, uh, but this, it's deeper than that. With, with this fella, um, and you, you, don't, wanna... you, you don't, you don't, look, you've interviewed a thousand cricketers, Joe. Um, I haven't really come across too many like this, I have to say. And if he's doing the Gary Kirsten uh, Academy, which is presumably in South Africa, I don't know. Actually, I assume so. Yeah, is it? But is he? 
intent on staying here? Is is that what he wants to do? Does he know where he wants to pursue his his coaching career? Well, he lives he lives in East London, uh, Essex border now. Um, there's a little clique of him, Lawrence, Wesley, and Harmer, and they all live very close to one really? another. Yeah, <laughs> um, his his family are based here. His children are born here. Um, I would be surprised if he were to relocate to South Africa. I don't know for sure, of course. Um, but he was very clear about what he wants from his post-playing career. And conversations have already been taking place with Essex regarding his him, him staying involved in the club in some, some way. Uh, and that may come to nothing in the short term. But And this is not a scoop because the chairman said it on the microphone in front of the whole, the whole ground this afternoon. Um, but yeah, it could be a fun swan song at the T20 World Cup, actually, in that, I, to be honest, I didn't realise quite the strength of that Netherlands squad. Phil and I have been doing our team previews for the next magazine over the last couple of days. Well, they, they had five players in, in the 100, was that? Five players in the 100, don't ask me to name them. Van, Van, Van der Guten or Van der Guten, don't know how you uh, pronounce it. Klassen, Klassen yeah. is just one, yeah. Uh, Brandon Glover as well, who got a 100 gig, albeit he didn't play. Obviously, uh, it's a Colin well. Ackerman. And Ackerman as well. So, yeah, I think um, I think Ben Jones Crickviz has predicted that they'll beat Sri Lanka uh, and qualify. They were, by some the... distance, the best team in the qualifying tournament in 2019. The 2019 World Cup format got uh, a lot of criticism, fairly, for only being a 10-team tournament. And uh, the first part of the T20 World Cup is, in effect, a qualifying tournament, as uh, Ireland captain Bal Burney has said on the record before. But it does provide a really good opportunity for two teams you don't normally see at the business end of a, of a World Cup playing against the best teams in the world to play a lot of games against those countries. Um, and Netherlands, Scotland, Oman, Ireland, they've all got a really good chance of, of being one of those teams. So that should be that should be really interesting. And it's not that long till we get there. Um, just finally on the county championship, it's been reported that the county championship will return to uh, a two-division competition again next year. Uh, we'll discuss that in more detail next week when we look back at the county season in more detail. Um, I'm sure counties, if that does happen, will have very differ- differing perspectives on how they should decide who is in I, each. I think the, I think the winds of change have, take, have, have taken it down that route now. And I think the, what's happened in the last couple of weeks with teams realising just how little there is to play for for 12 of the 18 teams, I think that's maybe but be interesting. the argument. Forward. It'd be interesting to hear from some of our listeners who have watched a lot of county yeah. cricket what they want because I, I, I'm still not really clear. Uh, I, I got a clear idea of what the counties want. I'm not really sure what fans think about the the conference system whether they'd like to see it continue. So yeah, definitely. Well, uh, use that email address podcast at wisdom.com to let us know what you think. Um, in the Rachel Hayho Flint Trophy, Scotland captain Catherine Bryce scored the second highest individual total in the competition's history this week, 162 for the Lightning against the Sparks. She was on 207 for the second wicket with her sister Sarah, which is very nice. Um, a five for, for Hannah Jones for the Thunder eliminated the Southeast Stars out of the tournament. Uh, the Stars won the Charlotte Edwards Cup recently. Um, there's another big score at Bristol. Western Storm skipper Sophie Luff scored an unbeaten 157 as the Storm beat Sunrises by 36 runs. And Georgia Elwis continued her fine form with the bat as her 84 not out helped defending champions. The Vipers chase down 257 against the Northern Diamonds. Uh, question from David Shervington. Who are the breakout stars of the women's domestic summer for you? So I've picked out a few here. Uh, the obvious one is Alice Capsey, who we talked about a lot. 
uh, 17-year-old Central in the Oval Invisible Invisibles, Oval Invincibles <laughs> success in the 100 and the Southeast Stars Charlotte Edwards Cup win. Um, Eve Jones isn't really a breakout star, but she's an uncapped player, has been around for a while, had another really good summer, one of the few left-handers in the English domestic game. Uh, and London spirit all-rounder Danielle Gibson, who I think is only 20, she looks a good player, she's mastered rapid 40 odd in a hundred game that suggested she's a player of high potential. And Emily Arlott, who mm. uh, won her first England call up for the India series earlier in the summer, but I don't think it's actually paid for England. She, yet. I don't think she did play, but she she was brilliant in the early part of the summer. Yeah, she a took a hat trick, I think, bowler. or four wickets and over, it potentially was a both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she's 23, swings it loads, and also is a pretty good, aggressive, lower middle order batter as well. So I think she could be someone who England have a look at. Um, quite a lot um, Charlie Dean's playing in this series. Um, right arm off-break bowler. bit taller than Maddie Villiers, uh, who's their other off-break op- option. And she's bowled well in, in this mini-series from what I've seen. And going to Australia, assuming that it goes ahead, et cetera, et cetera. They've got a lot of left-handers. And I think they'll be looking to try and blood her in, in, the, in the big stuff against Australia as well. Uh, she looks like a good player. She's a more attacking bowler than mm. Villiers, I mm. think. Really, really ranks it. Um, overnight, yeah. we had the first Australia-India ODI. Teenager Darcy Brown was a player of the match, taking a four for... Uh, all, all four of her wickets were top five Indian batters. Australia chased down 226 with nine overs and nine wickets remaining. Rachel Haynes hit 93 not out. That is Australia's 25th win in a row in ODI cricket, which is just ridiculous. It was interesting seeing Darcy Brown and Elise Perry take the new ball and have very very different uh returns at least Perry only bowled four or five overs I think and went almost at 10 and over yeah. Darcy Brown taking four for 30 odd and it does feel like there is that kind of changing of the guard going on in Australian cricket um in terms of the bowling I think at least Perry's still got a huge amount to offer as a as a batter in, particularly in in 50 over cricket um but she's not the four she was with the ball but they've got more coming through um and it's you know this is this is where English cricket wants to be and, and is getting close to being now. Mm. I think with Brown as well, she's like genuinely quick. She's uh, pushing mid to late 70s as well. Um, and I think two or three of her wickets were like short balls that hurried the batters as well. So um, something diff- different for batters in the women's game to contend with there. Um, another big piece of news this week, Lassith Malinga announced his retirement from all formats of cricket. Um, an all-time white ball great. Most men's T20i wickets of all time. World Cup winning captain in 2014, three ODI hat-tricks, two T20I hat-tricks, um, most wickets in IPL history, four-time IPL champion, so one hell of a player. Um, but it almost feels that players have multiple retirements these days, isn't it? I'm pretty sure he retired. I, I have to say, I thought he already had retired. <laughs> yeah. but, um, one of my most memorable cricketing moments ever, Lords, day before a test match, Sri Lanka test match years ago, and I stood right behind... Uh, Taranga, the old left-handed opener, right behind him. So I'm basically 25 yards away from Malinga running in and he was bouncing him, ball after ball. And because it comes from that trajectory, it's just horrific, shouldn't be allowed. And I stood there and imagined what it would be like and realised, my God, I could never have got anywhere near that. <laughs> a thousand miles from any kind of level of that, that sort of cricket. And yeah, stunning, stunning one-off of a, of a bowler, really. Um and, and made the, made the game more more fun, more it, Absolutely, absolutely. There's a really good video on YouTube of Malinga playing uh, one of his early test matches in, in New Zealand. I think it's early 2005 and he's got short hair at this point. Yeah. Um, and it's a really flat one, ball draw, search search for the scorecard. I think the game's nowhere near a result. And in the second innings, he takes a five where he just takes the pitch out of the 
equation and the New Zealand ambassadors have no idea what to do. Um, so yeah, go searching that. Just a brilliant cricketer. When I was younger, I used to sling it loads. So I used to get called Slinger Malinga uh, all the time. But then that was ironed out of my action. As, as, See, as that's the problem in this country. <laughs> we need to just <laughs> yeah, yeah, make the most, most of your natural talents. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, a question from Rob McGregor. Hearing Butch refer to Michael Atherton as Athers on a recent show, I felt compelled to ask, are there any really inventive or out there nicknames in cricket? Or do the panel have any specific favourites that they've heard along the lines of one size fits all in football? Well, I think, I think it's fair to say that nicknames have taken a dive in, in cricket, right? There, there used to be a few better ones, but now it is very much your kind of, your, your, your broader, your rooty. Yeah, they're yeah. disappointing. Um, oh, topically, Afghanistan for Mark War as the forgotten war. <laughs> uh, as Afghanistan was, was burning throughout the late 80s and so on, um, but no one really paying any attention. That was Mark War's nickname, which I thought was sort of grim. But at least he had a political edge to it. Yeah. So I've got, do you know what? I've actually brought up a, a piece that Phil and I wrote together. I don't know why we couldn't do one of, one of us <laughs> take this on. It was the 10 best nicknames in cricket. Wow. Which we wrote many, many years ago. Daisy. Daisy. That was one I was going to pick out. Peter, Peter Daisy Hartley. Some days some, he does, some days he doesn't. I always like that one. That was a good one. Uh, we've obviously got the, the King of Spain, Ashley Giles as well. Yeah, I'm not sure how much this was actually used, but it's a nice one. Do you remember Mondi Zendeki, the South African fast bowler? All hands on deck. All hands all on decky. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that, is, yeah. that is good. That, that's the, that's the Fitzhall that's, equivalent. Yeah, that's yeah. the Fitzhall equivalent. That's yeah. good. Is there any more? Any more? I feel like it's been... Someone uh, a bit rude for the podcast. Oh, really? I mean, yeah, I mean my, my, my club, but as soon as we're off, off air, I'll tell you, <laughs> my club, they're all sensational and all completely unrepeatable. On the club game, Joe, a word on the game of cricket we played on Friday. Last ball thriller. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, this was actually, so Yaz and I were playing for the Final Words podcast, Adam Collins' podcast, second best podcast around in, in the game, uh, against, uh, sorry, alongside a bunch of his listeners, uh, which that's some very good cricketers among them. And a lot of whom listen to this show as well. Yeah. Um, one of them, Dan Price deserves a, a shout out, who batted beautifully and got, got man of the match for a, a, an excellent diving catch at the end. But yeah, it all came down to the final ball, three needed ball creamed out to to uh cover point who hit it dean Dino, wilson. dean wilson of the of the daily mirror sensational uh he wasn't getting back for a quick two no he wasn't uh <laughs> but pick, picked up smoothly on the boundary pelted in they only get the one one run win for oh. the uh the final word podcast uh, so so a, a little bit a little bit guptil just shy shy of his ground it was very much so but there was no dive yeah no uh, <laughs> thank god for that Todd he'll be there down there now Todd as a mention uh, that, that game does. was completely dead until Tar came in and he looked, he did really well. Have not heard really about well. this, Phil? No, I haven't, no. no Should we really do this really after well. the show? <laughs> no, they love it. Um, yeah. <laughs> do they love it? Tar, Tell us at yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I, I, think, I think his inning deserves, deserves a bit of praise here. They, they needed about 10 and over and Tar basically was the person behind them staying in, in check with, with a required run rate. Yeah. I think he it's fair glorious. to say he, he was, need, he he was as surprised as anyone. <laughs> he he needed it. It's been a tough return to the to the turf. He hit a, a glorious um, like back foot punch through uh, kind of cover point for four in the last over off like a, a very good seamer actually, um, Declan. So yeah, that was, that was, Ty was excellent in that game. Oh, the boy needed um, that. Well, I think that's everything from today's show. We'll be back next week. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends. If you want to get in touch, fire us an email at podcast at wisdom.com and remember to tell us your moments of the summer. Cheers. 
Social Podcast Network.